The message you're about to listen to is by Reverend Dr. Femi Olaleye of Oikea Christian Center. Remain blessed as you listen. As we go into the Word of God, we thank you for opening our eyes to see and our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Praise God! Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, it's been a rainy, rainy morning. Hallelujah. Really rainy, rainy morning. So usually, what normally happens when, <laughs> um, you know, if the Lord was to say, I'm going to come on a rainy morning, some people are not going to go to heaven. <laughs> he says, oh, only those who are finding church on a rainy morning when I come are going to heaven. Some people say, oh, Lord. Nah, this, this, I don't have AC in my house, so when rain falls, that's the only natural AC I'm ever going to get. So <laughs> they're going to miss it. Amen. But don't worry. Even if he comes on a rainy morning and you sleep off, you wake up with him. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for the word? All right. Sorry if we came a bit late. We, we had some traffic issues after preaching first service in Sudary Church. Hallelujah. Now, last week, we were able to show that the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus is in the believer. The post-resurrection ministry of Jesus is in the believer. We saw that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus made it possible for man to have a place in God and for Jesus, via his spirit, to live in men. We saw that the incarnation of Jesus, praise God, um, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, all right, was God with us. The incarnation of Jesus Christ was God with us. As we see in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, all right, Isaiah 7 and 14. If you go to Isaiah 7, 14, let's look at it. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, it says here, in Isaiah seven fourteen, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name what? He shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. All right? Emmanuel. Okay, and what Emmanuel means is God is with us. Because the word Emmanuel is divided into two. It is Iman and El. El means God. So when he says Emmanuel, he's saying God is with us. So Imanu, that is with us. El is God. So Emmanuel is God is with us. So the incarnation is God with us. Hallelujah. But in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, God is not just with us. God has become where? In us. So the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus Christ, all right, speaks to God in us. That's what it speaks to. It means now, whatever God is going to do for the believer, he will do through the working of God in the believer. 
Are you seeing that? He's going to do through the working of God in the believer. This is why the teaching ministry, all right, shows and reveals who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. Every teaching concerning conduct is based on who Christ is in you. Every teaching concerning power is based on what you have in Christ and who Christ is in you. Hallelujah. So if you turn your Bibles, you read Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1, look at it. Everybody make sure you pay attention to your Bible. Amen. Just as the rain is falling outside, the rain of revelation falls in your mind. Hallelujah. And you know, that rain of revelation that is falling in your mind, it cools, removes all error, it removes all confusion. Amen. He said, Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, he says, Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord what? Jesus Christ. Now, verse 3 now says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who at what? Blessed us with all what? Spiritual blessings we are in heavenly places. You see that? Heavenly places we are in Christ. So it's letting you know the blessings you have in Christ. In Christ. Because the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus is in Christ. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now if you look at Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse 20. Or even start from, let's start from verse 19, uh, 17. Or let's start from verse uh, so you can see the context. 14. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit where? In the inner man. Notice that. Alright, post-resurrection, alright, God's concern is in, inside of you. Is what? Your inner man. Glory to God. And always speaks of who you are in Christ. Alright, with the might by his spirit in the inner man. He now says that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts by faith. Can you see that? He says that ye being rooted, rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. 19. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that he might be filled with all the fullness of God. He now says in 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the what? The power that worketh where? In us. In us. So when we are teaching the Christian, we are letting the Christian come into a fullness of understanding of two things. Who he is in Christ and what, all right, he has, um, what, um, who Christ is in him. Every single instruction to the Christian stems from those two things. His position in Christ. And his capacity in Christ based on the indwelling of the Spirit in him. You cannot teach the believer outside of those two things. So this is why when you want to teach 
the believer concerning his behavior, his conduct, where do you start from? You have to start teaching him from the point of who he is in Christ. So you don't tell the believer to stop, to try to stop lying. You tell the believer that he has the spirit of God. He is the temple of God. And because of that, he should stop lying. Are you following that? So for example, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. First Corinthians three. Verse sixteen. In instructing concerning false doctrine and the importance of preaching sound doctrine, look at what Paul says. In verse sixteen he says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Are you seeing that? Know ye not that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwelleth in you. 17, everybody want to go, it says what? If any man defile the temple of God, uh-huh, if shall God destroy, for the temple of God is what? Holy, which temple ye are. So you see the emphasis. The reason why that temple must not be polluted is because the temple is the temple of who? Of God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Hallelujah. Very, very important. So you see, even when, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, you see, even in the exhortation of Paul against fornication, the instruction not to fornicate was premised on the identity of the believer. Look at the 1 Corinthians chapter 6, number 16. Yeah, by the way, welcome to church, Albert and Yinka as a couple, praise God. Mr. and Mrs. Albert, well, are they doing all right? Are they here? Yeah. Praise God. Why would not sitting down together? You sit down together now. You know, so you are learning the word together. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> First Corinthians 6. Are you ready? Verse 15. It says, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an allot? God forbid. What? Now, notice. Notice. The Corinthian church had an issue with fornication. You understand? And the reason why they had an issue with fornication was because they were in a city um, under, um, where they worshipped a particular goddess. All right? Astaroth. All right? It has different, they call it Diana. You know, different names, Queen of Heavens, but, you know, Astaroth, you know, and all of that. So, in Oriental religions that involved a feminine goddess, usually, even feminine goddess or even male goddess, all right, usually what normally happened in such, um, such, um, such societies was that there was a preponderance of worship through sex. So they will have a lot of prostitutes in the temple, male and female prostitutes in the temple. And the entire city will be given to sexual perversion. Right? So the Corinthian church, or the, Cor the city of Corinth, if you want to do your study, you find that the city of Corinth was actually a coastal city. And they were actually a hub, a business hub. They were rich. It was a rich, it was a rich, a rich city. 
Because, you know, back then, if you had a coastal city, then it meant that a lot of, you know, ships came in to the city, brought goods, then there was a lot of business, a lot of exchange going on in those places, in those cities. You understand? So, all right, so, so, so you had that, and you had prostitutes, you had supply, you had demand, so there was sexual perversion there. So they normally used to have sexual parties, all sort of perversion that you can think of as a concerned sex. The Corinthians, all right, they did it. All sorts, they did it. You understand? So now, when Paul went there and preached the gospel to them, they started getting saved. But the challenge was that even though they got saved, they were not yet taken out of the city of Corinth. So that culture that was prevalent before they got saved was still being practiced by these people that just recently got saved. So you still found a lot of sexual immorality. So if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you had a case of a guy, a young man, all right, that saw his father's wife. Obviously, his own mother must have died or something. He saw his father's wife and liked his father's wife and toasted his father's wife and the father's wife agreed. And he now began to sleep with his father's wife and started going on with... Guy, brethren, this guy was a brother in church. Praise God. Now, here's the thing. The wife was a sister in church. Then you know the father. The father was our guy in church. So imagine that kind of scenario where a son took his own father, his father's wife, and got and said, um, living with his own father's wife as man and wife, and they were coming to church. And the father was coming to church, and they were speaking in tongues. <laughs> Look at what God Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. He says, now, because I want to show you how to handle, all right, things about even immorality and sin. The first thing to do in rebuking somebody who is living in sexual sin is to first of all show them who they are in Christ. All right? Because the change in conduct must actually be drawn from an understanding, a reaffirming of your identity. Any change in conduct that does not stem from an understanding of your identity in Christ is temporal. Is what? Is temporal. First Corinthians 5, verse 1. He said, It is reported commonly that there is what? Fornication among you. Do you know what I mean when he said it is reported commonly? It means it is normal. That means whenever they said, Ah, these Corinthians are fornication. You understand? Nobody, there was no outreach. It's like when you say there was Boko Haram attack in the north. You understand? Or there was gun violence in America. You know, the first time you heard it, you were like, ah! But after some time, that's what normally happens in that side. Do you get what I'm saying? You understand? It's what normally happens. Boko Haram, yes, no happened in the north. You understand? If you don't want that, don't go to the north. You get so it's just like that. Corinthian church and sexual hey, it's normal. They are like that. It's like you know, it's just their culture. You understand? Their culture, you know, so that's what they do. They just sleep around by, by nature. <laughs> so Paul said it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. They now said such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. So that means their own, they took it to another level. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you something about the devil. Do you want to know something about the devil? If you get saved, maybe you are living a particular sin, you heard the gospel, then you accept the gospel, then you get saved. 
then you are, you know, with the word, you know, with the word, word. Then you now drop off the wagon. Maybe you stop following, the, you know, within the word of God, and you just this word, this, and you want to take a break. Then you now fall back into that sin. Let me tell you something. The devil will now increase your support and the provision for that sin. Remember when the Bible says, Jesus said, when an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he goes walking through dry places. And when he finds no place to rest, what does he do? He goes back to that place he left. And when he sees that everything is in order, but nothing has taken the space, he says he goes to look for what? Seven spirits, more wicked than himself. And he says the state of that man is worse than at the first. That's what was happening here. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. All right? Then he says, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. So Paul is saying that this guy took his father's wife, and, you know, he continued, and, you know, so his issue was not what the man did. His issue was that the church had not responded to it. Are you following? Now, let us now see how he wants to now correct this issue of fornication. In 1 Corinthians 6, look at what he says. He says, Know ye not that your bodies, verse 15, are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an Lord? God forbid. So the reason why I do not take my body and go and give it to someone who is not my wife is simply because what? My body is what? My body belongs to who? Christ. So that means that consciousness of who owns my body is actually what will make me live holy. Hallelujah. Are you seeing that? He says, What shall I then take? All right, all right. He says, All right, knowing not that your bodies are its members of Christ, that means my body is a member of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an adult? What God forbid, what know ye not that he which is joined to an adult is one body? For both said he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without his body. But he that committed what? Fornication sinneth against what? His own body. What? Know ye not that your body is what? The temple of the Holy Ghost. Which is in you, or who is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. So, the presence of the Holy Ghost on your inside is the proof that you are the possession of God. Say aloud, I'm the possession of God. So that means the presence of the Holy Spirit on your inside is God saying, you belong to me. And the consciousness that God, all right, that the consciousness that you belong to God and you have been bought with a price, that is what will keep you from living in sin. Are you following? Come on, are you following? Where you go, this hand is not for that. These legs are not for that. My mind is not for that. My head is not for that. My body is not for that. I am the temple of the living God. The consciousness that you are God's temple. The consciousness that God, hallelujah, owns you. That's what's going to keep you from sin. 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6 first. Verse 20. It now says, For you are what? Bought with a price. 
Everybody say, I am bought with a price. Again, I am bought with a price. Say it again, I am bought with a price. I am bought with a price. He says, for ye are bought with a price. He says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So that means the instruction to glorify God in my body stems from an understanding that I am bought with a price. Stands from the understanding that my body is not my own. Hallelujah. It belongs to God. And it stands from the fact that the Holy Ghost, all right, has made my body his temple. Therefore, I cannot live anyhow. Are you following? So that's why whenever the devil comes to you with temptation, this is how you respond. You respond from the place of what? Identity. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, let me show you something. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Because... Temptation is the devil trying to lure you away from what God, from who God has made you to be. So the devil will try to lure you away from the image of God that you are. He will try to tempt you away and make you behave and reason in a way that is inconsistent with who you are in Christ. That's what he does. I said that's what he does. Praise God. I said, praise God. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 4. Is this helping anybody? Come on, is this helping anybody? So I want to show you because this is how it does. This is how it works. Because I'm, teach, I'm going to teach you how you can allow... The man you are in Christ, the spirit within you to take ascendancy in your life and be magnified in your life and ensure you can put to death all the deeds of the body and ensure you can ensure you can walk in such a way that the flesh does not have any kind of power ascendancy over you. How many of you like that? Praise the Lord. So you need to know how that happens now. Matthew chapter 4. Now look at verse 1. Everybody read. He says what? Then was Jesus led up of the spirit. Into the wilderness to be what? Yeah. Exactly. The devil will tempt you. Just as he tempted Jesus. To be tempted of the devil. Now he says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards and hungered. Verse 3, everybody read. He says what? And when the tempter came to him, he said, so hold on. When the devil wants to tempt, he will tempt through words. You understand? Words. Certain thoughts will come to your mind. Is this clear? He said, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now notice that the devil tempts Jesus using questions. Notice that. Questions. When the devil wants to actually tempt you from a place of conviction in what God has said, he will raise questions, logical questions, by the way, to try to sway you away from it. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, in speaking to Eve, the devil asked a question. The first question in the Bible was asked by the devil. Glory to God. Genesis 1, there's no question there. Genesis 2, there's no question there. You understand? No, no question. The first question in the Bible was asked by the devil. And he says, at 
as God said. So the devil raises questions that are diametrically opposed to the thoughts of God. That is how the devil operates. So the devil raises questions that, you know, questions the word. There is nothing wrong in asking questions, but the devil doesn't ask questions. The devil questions. It's not the same. To question a thing is to say that the thing that was told to you is a lie. Hallelujah. To ask questions is to seek clarification concerning the thing that was told you. They are not the same. All right? The person who is seeking clarification wants fuller understanding. But the person who is questioning is trying to lure you away from that thought, you know, that, that thought process. Are you following? So that's why you find somebody who believes, who, who says there is no God. He will ask you questions that question your belief in the fact that there is God. Are you following? This, that person is not asking questions to get clarity concerning who God is. This person is questioning your position, alright, on what you say about God, or questioning the authority and the veracity of the Bible. So what the devil does is that he questions. So he will come, you understand, from that. So for example, concerning marriage, he will say, had God said anywhere that it is man, one man, one wife? Glory to God. Didn't David have many? Didn't Moses have two? Are you seeing this? Didn't this one have this? This one have that. So why are you sticking with one? Hallelujah. You now begin to say, but biologically, it doesn't make sense to have one. So he comes from that place of logical thinking to try to raise a stronghold that is against the world. Are you paying attention? So you now find out that that person now is swayed away and begins to live a life in another way with a conviction that they are right. Check those who are deceived. They usually have a logical basis for what they are doing. In their mind, they think they are right. What has happened? The tempter has come and tempted them and lured them away. Glory to God. There is a difference between being ignorant and being deceived. There is a difference between being ignorant and being deluded. The devil is the source of, the, of both, but you see, the approach to both is not the same. Glory to God. I said glory to God. So temptation. Now look at what he says. The first question the devil asks, he says, he says, at God said, that's what he says in Genesis 3.1. Then he, he comes to Jesus and says, if thou be the son of God, if thou be the son of God, but God had already said in, Genesis, in Matthew 3.17, look at it. He says, and lo, a voice came, a voice from heaven saying, this is my what? My what? My what? Beloved son, in whom I am what? Well, please. So that means God had already said he was a son. Then the devil comes and says, if you are, questioning his identity. So what the devil does to lure believers out, just as he tried with Jesus, is to question their identity. Because if you have a wrong understanding of who you are, then how you behave will be affected. Praise the Lord. It is why when you sin, or if you sin, the very first thing, the ministry of condemnation attacks is your identity. If you were truly a child of God, you won't do this. 
If you were truly born again, are you saying that? If you were truly, if you were truly, if you were truly, you won't lose your anger. If you were truly, why? Because what the devil is going for is the identity, that image of you you have. Because if he can cause that, you dent in that image, if he can cause you to see yourself less than God has made you, he will now make you try to walk and strive to attain to what you already are. You now try to make you try to um, work hard to become who you already are. So you will now try to be a son when you are already a son. You will now try to be perfect in righteousness when you are already what? Perfected in righteousness. The righteousness that is a free gift. Romans 5, 17. Praise the Lord. You will now be trying to be accepted by God when he has already accepted you where? In Christ. Can you see that? Because what the devil goes for is he attacks the identity. Praise the Lord. Now, why is it important to attack the identity? Because if there is a dent in the identity, it will affect that man. The, he, cannot, he cannot pray the same way. He cannot faith the same way. He cannot praise the same way. He cannot worship the same way. It's what happened in the Old Testament. You notice, once the identity of man was attacked, once he didn't receive the image of Christ, it affected every other thing he did. So instead of worshiping God in spirit, he needed a calf to worship. He needed an idol to worship. He needed something physical to worship. If man had understood that he was a spirit made in the class of God, he would have known that he did not need a physical idol to contact God. Are you seeing it? Come on, are you seeing it? If the identity is attacked, if the identity is corrupted, it will affect every other thing. Every other thing is affected. It was because of that, you know, you know, attack identity that men needed to have something like a, a lamb killed. And they saw the lamb killed and the lamb died. And I said, all right, my sins are forgiven. Hebrews let us know that God had no desire in sacrifices of bulls and goats. None. Because he knew he could not take away sin. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. Tell that I am what the word of God says I am. Louder, I am what the word of God says I am. So we need to examine who you are in Christ and what you can do because of Christ in you. Amen. We need to examine who you are in Christ and what you can now do based on the fact that Christ is in you. Every instruction must be based from your position. Hallelujah, who you are in Christ, and your identity, who Christ is in you. Glory to God. I said glory to God. I said glory to God. I said glory to God. Remember, Ephesians 3.20, all right, there is the power of God is at work where? In where? In you. Look at Romans chapter number 8. Ah, just thank God. I'm a few watch football here. So grateful. You know, you think I was going to let it pass? No, I can't, I can't, I can't let it pass. My team, Chelsea, was able to, you know, pull through, <laughs> you know, yesterday. Ah, thank God. It's good to have a good coach. Praise the Lord. You know, there are different kinds of coaches. You know, there's the Oligon or Soldier, you know, almost there. We never really, we know it will never really succeed. You know, then there's the coach like to share. Amen, somebody. We know that if you succeed, glory to God. Then you have a theta. 
you know, it's not possible for you to succeed. <laughs> I was talking to a friend yesterday. I said that let us have a bet. If Chelsea, I, I can't believe he accepted it. You know, Arsenal fans, they've been deluded. Praise God, because I said, all right, if you, win the, if you fail to win the Europa League, you're going to be singing, you're going to sing a video and record yourself singing Thunder, Fire You, all right, to Asna, and you must tag Asna. And I said, if I, Chelsea, loses the FA Cup, I will sing Thunder, Fire You to my club. And he accepted. I was like, wow, you see, this is what I'm talking about. This is, I mean, you didn't even say I should win Champions League. FA Cup, I'm going to play Leicester or Southampton. I will beat them sleeping, you understand? Even my second sister, we beat them. Except God is against me. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> All right, that was just a side, side talk. Now, Romans 8. Pay attention. Notice who you are in Christ. Position, Christ in you. Identity. Who you are in Christ. Position, Christ in you. Identity. Romans chapter 8. Now, pay attention. Look at what it calls you. All right. In verse 7, it says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Verse 8. He says, So then, they that are where? Talk to me. They that are where? In the flesh. Cannot what? Please God. So that means he's saying the flesh is a location. They that are in the flesh. They that are what? In the flesh cannot please God. So the question you now ask is this, are you in the flesh? Because if you are in the flesh, that means you got a problem. You can't please God. You can't please God. So when he's talking about in the flesh there, all right, is he talking about actions or is he talking about a, a, a position, a place? Let's see it. He says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. He now says, verse 9, everybody read. He says what? But ye are not where, but what? If so be that what? Talk to me. If those be that what? The Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is what? None of you. So that means he's saying, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are in the Spirit. Tell that I am in the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God dwells in me. Again, I am in the Spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in me. Now, the question is this. How do I know I am in the Spirit? How do I know I have received the Spirit? Well, if you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual... Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Verse 2. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Now, look at verse 3. Clearly, everybody pay attention. It says, Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by what? The Spirit of God called Jesus' word, of course, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by what? The Holy Ghost. So that means anyone that has believed in Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus, glory to God, has the Spirit of God, because you cannot believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ without having the Holy Ghost. How many of you get that? Come on, how many of you get that? So that means if you believe in the Lordship of Jesus, then you have the Spirit. Then if you have the Spirit, you are not in the flesh, you are where? You are where? 
You are aware. So that means in the spirit. We don't try to get in the spirit. We are in the spirit because we have been born again. St. John's Gospel chapter 3. Because some people say, ah, oh yeah, All right? Now, let me say this very clearly. There is a difference when, between when the Bible says, like for example, John said in, in Revelation 1, number of Revelation 1, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Right? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, that in the Spirit, in Revelation and the one we are just talking about is not the same. Revelations, I was in the spirit on the last day, is a description of the operations of the revelation gifts. So when he said, I was in the spirit of the last day, he is saying that I was in visions and trances. That's what he's talking about. It means that, all right, I had a supernatural encounter on that day. That's what he's talking about. So that's what it means, I was in the spirit on the last day. And you know very important for you to know? When he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, it implies that there was something he was doing on the Lord's day that resulted in him being where? In the Spirit. Because if you look at the context of Scripture, you will find out that on the Lord's day, they spent time in what? In prayer and devotion to the Lord. Amen. For example, in Acts of Apostles chapter 13, the Bible says that certain prophets and teachers in Antioch separated themselves so the Lord prayed and fasted, then the Lord said. Then in Acts of Apostles chapter 3, the Bible says around the time when they went into the temple, okay? So that means there was a time they went into the temple to what? To pray. So when he says, on the Lord's day, he's trying to tell you, all right, on the Lord's day, what do we do on the Lord's day? We come, we fellowship, we seek the Lord, we pray. So he's saying during that exercise, that period of exercise on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. So my eyes were opened, my ears were opened, I saw into the Spirit and I heard from the realm of the Spirit. That's what he's saying. That is different from, all right, if you are born again, you are in the Spirit. Is this clear? Come on, is this clear? One is talking about your position in Christ because of your, the new birth. The other is talking about the operations of spiritual gifts. Hallelujah. So if I say I was in the Spirit yesterday, what I mean was that I am what? I had the operations of the gift of the Spirit. Because I am always in the Spirit. You are always in the Spirit because the Holy Ghost dwells where? In you. The presence of the Spirit of God in you has, has, been, your, has been your translation from what? The realm of the flesh into what? The realm of the Spirit. In fact, that's what Romans chapter 8 is all about. Shall I show you that? Shall I show you that? Let's go back to Romans 8. Look at Romans 8 and verse 1. It says, There is therefore now, pay attention, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Right? Now, in the originals, this part where it says, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, is not there. All right? But let's leave it there. Because it doesn't change anything, if you understand what he's saying. Because when he says, Walk not after the flesh, all right, but after the spirit, to walk after the spirit is to believe in Jesus. To walk after the flesh is not to believe in Jesus. Because walking after the flesh is seeing Jesus after the natural eyes. Calling him the son of Joseph and Mary. Calling him the carpenter. You understand? That is what it means to walk after the flesh. Because the context of walking after the flesh in Romans 8 is in who Jesus is. 
the gospel message. You understand? You have to read Romans 7, you have to read Romans 6, you have to read Romans 5, Romans 4. The essence of that message of the book of Romans is the gospel. So the man who walks after the flesh is the one that hears the gospel and says, no, Jesus is just a man. You understand? Jesus is just a carpenter. We knew his brothers. We knew his sisters. Don't tell me he's the son of God. The man that walks after the spirit is the one that hears about Jesus and responds to Jesus after the spirit and not afterwards. After the flesh. Are you paying attention? So walking after the fl flesh, alright, because it didn't say walking in the flesh. It says walking after the flesh. After. That means the flesh is the pattern and I pattern after it. The spirit is the pattern and I pattern after it. So walking after the flesh is what? Alright, patterning my lifestyle, my belief system after the flesh, which is devoid of the spirit of God. As you will see as we go on. Verse 2 now says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. So that means the law of the spirit of life and the law of the spirit, um, law of sin and death are two different laws. Amen. The law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death are what? Are two different laws. It now says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death, which means he was in the law of sin and death. Amen. Are you guys paying attention? He was in the law of sin and death, but by the operation of the Holy Ghost, he's not under another law, the law of spirit of life. Amen. Now look at verse 3. Let me put my hand like this. Flesh, life. Painful, but let's just do it. Let me put it down. Painful. Hallelujah. He says, for what law the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned what? Sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but afterward. Are you seeing this now? Come on, are you seeing it now? Uh huh. Now, he says the righteousness of the Lord might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. But to be carnally minded is dead. But to be spiritually minded is what? Like, now he moves from when he's talking about after the flesh and after the spirit, he's talking about mind. Right? Because he's talking about carnally minded and what? Spiritually minded. So that means after the flesh and after the spirit is actually defined based on your thinking. Amen? Minded. Mind. Alright? Your thinking. He now says, uh-huh, for to be carnally minded is dead. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We will explain this, all right? Because the carnal mind is what? Enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Okay, so if the carnal mind is enmity against God, and the carnal mind is in opposition against God, all right, it means the carnal mind rejects, all right, what God is offering. What is God offering? Life. Eternal life. Is that correct? So if the carnal mind is rejecting eternal life, if the carnal mind is rejecting the life that God gives, it means that the carnal mind is going to abide in what? In what? In what? In what? Uh, talk with confidence now. Death, right? If you reject life, what do you have? If you reject light, what do you have? Darkness. Is that correct? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have what? To have what? So that means the carnal mind is the mind that does not believe in Jesus and as such does not have eternal life, but have what? Eternal death. Are you seeing this? So the carnal mind is an unbelieving mind. Those that are in the flesh are the unbelievers. Come on, is this clear? 
Why? Because they are unbelieving or they are unbelievers because they've rejected God's offer of life available where? In Christ Jesus. And because they've rejected God's offer of life available in Christ Jesus, what they have is death. The carnally minded is death. But to the spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Why is the spiritual minded life and peace? Because the spiritual minded person is the one that has accepted what? The offer of God in who? In Jesus Christ. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. So the man who believes has eternal life. Therefore, the man who believes is spiritually minded. Clear? Clear? Uh-huh. This man who believes is spiritually minded. Glory to God. A spiritually minded is life and peace. He says, because the carnal man is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither they can be now. He says, so then they that are in the flesh, that is those who are unbelieving, cannot what? Please God. So that means without faith, you can't please God. Remember? Without faith, it is impossible to what? To please God. Without faith in who? Without faith in Jesus. Can you see it now? Come on, can you see it now? All right. So he says, um, next verse, he says, because the carnal man is enmity against God, for it is not subject to love God, neither that it can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Ha, nine. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is what? He is none of his. Now, ten. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of what? Righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead lives in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. Emphasis, the spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Now, notice. Now, he's now talking about, he says, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Verse 13, everybody read. He says, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall what? Die. But if ye live through the Spirit, if ye through the Spirit do multiply the deeds of the body, ye shall what? Live. For as, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? Sons of God. Now, notice something. That word led there, when it says for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, the word led there, alright, means to be transported. It means to be born. Alright, it is implying a movement from one location to another location. Hallelujah. So when he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, what two locations have we seen from Romans 8 verse 1? You have the flesh and you have what? The Spirit. So when he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He's saying, as many as are born out of the flesh into what? The Spirit, they are what? The sons of God. So what has happened? The Spirit of God through the gospel has moved us from in the flesh and has taken us to where? In the Spirit. You see that? So that's why the word led there is used. For as many as are... So the leading of the Spirit here in context is talking about the new birth. It's talking about being born out of the flesh and born into what? The Spirit. So you are born into the Spirit so that you can now walk in the Spirit. Say that with me. I am born into the Spirit. Therefore, I can walk in the Spirit. So the instruction to walk in the Spirit. Let's look at it, Galatians 5. That instruction to walk in the Spirit stems from your identity. So you are taught to walk in the Spirit because you can God will never give you an instruction 
to do what you cannot do. You can do what the word of God says you can do. You can. Hallelujah. You can. Verse 14. Galatians 5. It says, for all the law. Remember, it says, if you have the spirit of Christ, you are where? In the spirit. Is that correct? Romans chapter 8. You are in the spirit. So you are in the spirit. So it says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 15. But if ye bite before one another, take it that ye be not consumed one of another. 16. Everybody really want to go. It says what? This I say then. Walk where? In the spirit. And you shall not what? Can you see that? Walk in the spirit. So walk there is an instruction. So he is telling you that you should in your desires give preeminence to what your spirit wants to do. Now, what your spirit wants to do is described in the scriptures as the fruits of the spirit. Amen? What your spirit wants to do, that means the spirit, all right, your spirit born again wants to do is what is described as the fruit of the spirit. Look how it says, the fruit of the spirit. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is what? Love. And what? Joy. And what? Peace. And what? Long suffering. Then gentleness. Then goodness. Then faith. Then meekness. Then temperance. Against such there is what? No law. No law. This means in any situation you find yourself, your reborn spirit wants to take the love way. Amen. <laughs> your reborn spirit wants to take the love way. Not the jealous way. Not the envious way. Not the offended way. Love's way. And when we're talking about walking in the spirit, walking in the spirit means that you do what your reborn spirit wants to do. Amen. Because remember, the flesh is a way of thinking. Amen. Walking in the spirit is a way of speaking, a way of thinking. Because when you talk about envy, jealousy, all of those things start in your mind, in your thinking. Lust, fornication, adultery, it starts in your mind, in your thinking. It's a way of thinking. Praise God. You know, I was <laughs> <laughs> Listen, may you never get to a point where you will create a, doct- a doctrine around your weakness. Amen. Yeah, I said. May you never get to a point where you create a doctrine around weakness. I was, there's this guy somewhere, social media page. I'm going to remove him from my wall soon. But I just, you know, um, sometimes you have some folks that put stuff or that just trigger you to think about doctrine and stuff. I think I, this is what this guy is a, it's a minister. Minister. This guy is a minister. Like a, he's actually a minister. Like has people, he's pastor. But this dude has three wives. You know, all of a sudden, you know, people don't understand the Bible, there's a problem. You understand what I'm saying? Now, it, it's, not that, it's not that he had three wives, then got saved. You understand? No. He was saved and married one, two, three, then 
He also sleeps with women that are not his wives. And he's very vocal about it. Now, he says, <laughs> praise the Lord. I, I taught something in our first service. You guys get it when you get on Telegram. I need you to get it when you get on Telegram. The reason why you need to get it when you get on Telegram is the devil is not direct. When the devil wants to tempt you, eh? do you know how he does it? He will come with a logic. It's logic. It's very logical. It will, now, it will make sense. I can understand what I'm saying. It will make sense. It makes sense. Die. You two go the reason now. Uh -uh. Yes, now what is there? Uh -uh. You understand? So, so this was it. So someone now came to us and said, "Oh, sir, the Bible says that the bishop should be the husband of one wife." The man now said, "Yes." He said, "Bishop, I'm a prophet." That prophets. God has a special relationship that God can tell somebody that I give you wives. You understand? You know, to wife. All right. And God can instruct and speak to you and tell you, sleep with her. <laughs> oh boy. Praise the Lord. You see, where is that coming from? That is coming from a deception from the devil. That says that God can speak to believers outside of the written word. Right? So, when you have that mindset that a voice can speak to you that does not necessarily agree with what's in scripture because of your special relationship with God, which is special, but is outside the word. You understand? You now find out that you open yourself to satanic deception. But the problem is this. Let me tell you about satanic deception that is, has gotten to delusion. You will not know or you will not agree that you are deceived. You have plenty of scriptures. Because you know the devil also quotes scriptures. You know, in Matthew 4, the first question the devil poses to Jesus was turned the stone to bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Oh, so they say, oh, you're churchy now. That's good. So the devil comes and says, all right. It takes him to the top of a mountain and said, if thou be the son of God, throw yourself from this place. For it is written. He quotes scripture. It is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and they shall bear, your, they are, uh, bear you in their hands, that thou may not dash thy foot against what? A stone. So, the devil is the king of out-of-context interpretation of Scripture. The number one sponsor of out-of-context interpretation of Scripture is Satan. He will lift Scripture out of the context of Scripture. And many a times, we've said many a times that to read the Bible in context is to read some, some verses before and some verses what? After. But as I have also told you that that is one level of context. There is a second level of context, which is to read the scripture, the verse, in the context of what? The entire book. What is this book about? Hallelujah. 2 Timothy 3.15 tells us what the book is about. It's about what? Faith, salvation through faith in who? Christ Jesus. So that means the central theme of the book is to inspire faith in who? Christ Jesus. Any ideology that does not meet with that 
It's outside of that. So you now say, well, pastor, how does this apply to marriage? I will tell you. Why is it one man, one wife? I will tell you. It's very simple. Marriage is a shadow of the relationship between Christ and the church. Which means when you look at marriage, it is an earthly emblem to let you understand the union between Christ and the church. Then when you find you, you want to understand eternal life, amen, you understand God's position on divorce is how you know that God will never be separated from the person that has received Jesus Christ. Because I, the Lord, hate divorce. Then he goes on in Matthew 19 and says, What God has joined together, let no man what put asunder. He's not talking about, you understand, the marriage is not the, marriage is just the fiscal stuff. He's talking about the man in Christ because it is Christ and the church that God brought together. Hallelujah. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, um, Paul tells us that uh, the mystery of marriage is the mystery of what? Christ and the church. So what God has joined together is the unbeliever and Jesus. He that is joined unto what? The Lord. Hallelujah. So in the new birth, in salvation, there is a joining what? Together. So he says what God has joined together, let no man what? Put us under. If polygamy was God's plan, it would now mean that, listen, it would mean that God, Jesus, had more than one bride. That the church of Jesus, all right, for example, we had the church, that it would now mean that there is another belief system that is also a bride. Amen. Then there's another belief system that's under a bride. Amen. So you have one Jesus, many brides. Are you, are you paying attention? So the polygamous posture in marriage does not reflect God's plan for marriage. Glory to God. There is the image, then there is the pattern. Marriage on the earth is the pattern. What is it patterned after? It is patterned after Christ and what? The church. This is why when you look at the instructions to husbands, you will say wives should submit to their husband as unto the Lord. Then you now tell, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself so you can see what he's saying. So the reason for husband is Christ. The reason for wife is the church. So the wife, by observing the relationship between church and Christ, should understand her relationship with her husband. And husband, by seeing what the church and what Christ did for the church, should understand his relationship to his wife. Not wife. Wife. When a man of God is saying that, ah, I can see a monkey on the road. You understand? And just sleep with her. My wife should be good with it. No problem. I'm the prophet. He's endorsing adultery. And he's seriously what? Deluded. What I, what I call it? Deluded. You cannot hear the word of the Lord from that person's mouth. It's compromised. Alright? He has been compromised by the kingdom of darkness. But he doesn't know it. And that's how the devil works. Secret society. The devil, he will compromise you, delude you, and you, will not, you are not aware. It will take serious revival for them to revive you out of that slumber. Glory to God. I said glory to God. Yeah. Say that with me. I am what the word of God says I am. Louder, I am what the word of God says I am. I can do what the word of God says I can do. 
One major thing you need to realize as a Christian is this. You have forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins is not a future reality. In fact, forgiveness of sins is not just the wiping out of the record of your sins. There is something forgiveness of sins does to you. Remember, Mary Magdalene. I'm not even remember Mary Magdalene. The Bible tells us that she came and she poured, she broke the alabaster box at the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees said, uh -uh, in their heart, they said, if he was a man of God, he would know that she's a woman of sin. But Jesus said, leave her alone. All right? She loves much because she was what? Forgiving much. Which means that what forgiveness of sins does to the believer, the consciousness of that forgiveness is that it brings out a love for God. So a proper consciousness, the fruit of forgiveness of sins is love for God, not love for the flesh. So the preaching of eternal forgiveness spurs the man or woman who feeds on that fact into loving God and loving the things of God. It does not produce lasciviousness. If you find someone who says because he's forgiven, he's living in lasciviousness, he hasn't gotten the understanding of what forgiveness is. Praise God. Does you understand what forgiveness is? Because the forgiveness of sins that Jesus brought was not just a wiping of the record. It was also the production of a new creation. There was a new birth. A new heart. A new life. This man who is forgiving is a new creation. He has no past. The spirit of God is his nature. Which means if his nature is a spirit, he gravitates towards the spirit. Hallelujah. The spirit is his nature. He seeks the things of the spirit. He goes in the direction of the Spirit. I will tell you, I said, listen, if somebody says he's born again, you go out an outreach and you say, you preach the gospel and the person got born again and that person does not have that any desire to know more about this Jesus he's received. He's not saved. He's not saved. Fish always like to be inside water. Have you seen a fish that doesn't like water? No. Praise God. I said, have you seen a fish that doesn't like water? No. I have not. It's like people that, wait, wait, I'm not even, as we are hearing the word of God here, I'm not even getting blessed. I'm not even creating a desire, I want to know more. I want to know more. I have a few questions here and there. I'm not even having, you understand. Now, what's going on? Why are you having that? Because you are saved. So as you hear the word of God, your spirit is gravitating towards the word. Why is your spirit gravitating towards the word? Because you are born of the word. And you are born of the spirit. Being born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible, by the word of God that liveth and what? Abide forever. So when you hear the word, you want to know more of it. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may what? Grow thereby. So that means we can tell who is born again and who is not by their disposition to the word. So you have folks who are in church. They are not saved. They heard a funny gospel, but they are churchgoers. What they have is churchianity. You know, I mean, you know, there's a religion called churchianity. Churchianity, that is the religion of going to church. But they are not saved. And sadly, they form the large crowd of people that are in churches. 
And the funny thing is the pastors, because they want to have, many pastors, because they want to have large churches, are designing their church program for the churchians, not the Christians. So you have here one-hour services, 30-minute services, in and out. You just come, we have a conversation about God. Praise the Lord. Let's have a conversation about God. Amen. God loves you. God is with you. You know, you know, there's a certain place in the Bible that says, they don't open Bible there. The guy will just gist. You understand? Have you been able to make a connection with God? Yeah, amen. Can we just give our offerings? This and that. People, you know, they now come out and say, oh, I like that church. They don't take time. Just, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Just give me tips. You know, just tips that we're going to use in my life. Tips. Practical things that will help my, my here and now be better. Relevant information. Are you following what I'm saying? Relevant information I can use on Monday. So you understand? To make it out, you know, give me tips, you know, investment, Bitcoin, you know, you understand? Give me tips. So that's why churches are bringing people to talk Bitcoin on Sunday morning, bringing people to talk about, you now begin to bring, bring sex therapists on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, no? In the morning or Sunday, they bring it, and that is the main thing. Then they bring comedians, and people are <laughs> Notice, when you bring comedians, nobody's complaining about time. You notice that? How many of you notice that now? You bring comedians, nobody's complaining about time. You, you bring the band to come and do some worship for us. Nobody's complaining about time. They say, you know, this is, this is relatable, you know? Hallelujah. But when the man of God comes up, he himself knows that the people are not there because of his ministry. So he excuse them. I will not preach for long. Then what you have, it will say, yes. Because the moment it's time for the word, the demons in them says, ah, time. Time. Ah, time. So you guys, here's 15 minutes. Five things to take away to move to your next level. Number one, aspire. Number two, you perspire. Number three, you inquire. Number four, you acquire. <laughs> Hallelujah. Number five, don't misfire. Hmm. The person will say, man, that's the word. The word, the word. Ah! Word. Ah! Word. So I, I, I need to aspire. What? You understand? You know. No Christ. Then the funny thing is, after the five aspire, you now hear, if you are here and you want to give your life to Christ, how now? No. So people, listen, listen to me. And I'll close with this. I'll close with this. The Bible says, faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. Which means the faith for salvation is in response to the message preached. If the message is not preached, there can't be faith. It is the word that supplies the faith. So when you are saying if you want to give your life, based on what? If a person stands on and says, I want to give my life to Christ, based on what? You will not be saying, 25 years ago, I made that decision. I was a poor man, but now I'm a rich man. I'm, I didn't have, I trekked to church, now I drive five cars, I have two jets. Jesus has changed my life. What are they coming out for? For a Jesus that saves or a Jesus that changes lives in terms of jets and cars? So what you are seeing is that that Jesus that they are coming out is Jehovah Jeff Bezos. That's what they are coming to receive. It's Jehovah Jeff Bezos. So you now find out that one month later, two months later, Four months later, when Jehovah Jeff Bezos doesn't show up, 
you now begin to hear that they are shaking in their feet. How many of you know what I'm talking about now? Some of you are shaking their feet. You know, they are not coming again. Things are not moving. You know, they now say, you now be hearing things like, if your life is not changing your church, they say, maybe it's that church. You are going to another place where they, so they go there and carry everything. It must work. It must work. It must work. It must work. Jehovah Jebusers must come true for me. They were never saved. Then those that same fellow will rise up and be pastor of a branch of that church. <laughs> and he's going to do the same thing. Five things you need to do in your business. After he has done five things you need to do in business, no salvation message. You just say, if you want to accept Jesus as our Lord and pastor, say, come, 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 come. Come to what? It's a response to a message. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A message. That is why you have people who say they are Christians, but they will be querying whether Jesus is the only way. You'll be them. They don't let us judge. Who is judging? Is Jesus has said that. Did I, am I the one that wrote the Bible? I'm telling you what Jesus says. So I'm judging. Jesus, I'm the way. The truth is Jesus. Christians will be saying it to you because the message they heard was not the gospel. Praise the Lord. I said, Praise the Lord. So when you say, Nigeria is a religious nation, but there's corruption there. I'm telling you why that is. I'm telling you why, that, why, is, why is this. There's a lot of fake conversion. Fake. It's fake. How can you be? You're a Christian, right? Praise God. You're born again. You say you're born again. Born again. Jesus love you, right? Yes. You will find that if you do something wrong, your heart, you can't sin in peace after you get born again. The hardest thing is sin because after you've done it, you'll be finding out that something is just. You are not, I don't even know what I'm talking about. That thing you did. You don't be. Ah! <laughs> you understand? You'll not be looking for someone to confess to. Praise God. That's why I always say something. The wrongest person for you is a brother. You say you are dating, then you want to be sinning with. It's a Christian sister. It's the wrongest. You see, you, see, you are offside. You are back offside. Because let me tell you what happened. You are seeing like, are you for a kissing? You go and do fornication and stuff like that. It just takes one service. The fire of God will just fall in one service. All of a sudden, that's the time we cry. Oh, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I will not let any man take start the trade. That's what happened. Oh, you know, the sister will go and tell Pastor. Or tell this Pastor. There's something going on in my relationship. I'm not really sure. <laughs> ah, Holy Ghost is inside again. That's the problem. Holy Ghost is there. Praise God. And if a sister, one day that brother will cast fire and begin to see you as an agent of the devil. And begin to look at you suspiciously. Yeah, be looking at you suspiciously. That's why when you find out that a Christian who is looking, once the person cast fire, you'll be looking for anybody that is a problem. You now find the person will just move away from you. It's Holy Ghost. Amen. That's why I say, Pastor. If a pastor, a pastor, you now say he wants to be doing stuff with members, like uh, <laughs> and say it will not come out. Who are you deceiving? It, eh? it will come out. Praise God. Uh -uh. It will come out. Because the person's spirit is anti sin. One of the things that you will know that someone is born again is that their nature will repel sin. If they say there will be this. You understand? Remorse. 
But we are forgiven in Christ. Praise God. You want to straighten it out. We are saved. So all this grace is saying we should be saved. I don't know where they're getting it from. It doesn't, it's not true. The Holy Ghost? Oh. No. No, 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 no. Holy Ghost is the one that will tell you to return money you stole. Not the one that tells you to tight on the money you stole. Are you with what I'm saying? How can you steal? You are tight. tight. What are you to who? Are you, is God is God that capon that you are not giving his own share? Lord, I stole from you. Here's your share. <laughs> no, it's not the Godfather. Uh-uh. No. They will not get any, not in this church, praise God, or any of our churches. If you are a thief, we won't give you front seat to sit down. You understand? We will not. We've never done it. This church is like one, 10 years old. We never do it. Hallelujah. Because we are not even inside this thing for money. You say, are you a drug dealer? Oh, we are, you know. <laughs> one time I had these folks came to church. And they said, Pastor, I want you to pray for us. I said, oh, wow, wonderful. What, what, you said, for business to come in. I said, okay. I said, what do you do? You know, because I, I don't want to pray without knowing what you do. Because you may be a killer. All right, so... And I said, what do you do? The guy said, we internet. I said, I know internet. What do you do? They now said, we do Yahoo. Ah. I said, sorry, you what? They do Yahoo. Yes, Yahoo, Yahoo, Yahoo Plus. I want you to pray that God bless us. We partner with the ministry. Ah, I said, sit down here. You came to the wrong place. So. <laughs> you came to the wrong place. So. I said, eh? I sat down there. Preach the gospel to them. Why are them with the word? Yes. Because for the fact that they, they could bring that to me, it means that they've not heard the word of God from me where. Are you following? So that's down. Why are them so that you understand? Why are they? Ah. Want to steal somewhere and give where? Yeah, God forbid. We don't want. Glory to God. We don't want. Same money. Our God does not have to give us stolen money for us to prosper. Amen. It's not a ready, ready God. It's not a jati, jati God. It's a good God. Lift up your hands to us, and bless his name. Have you been blessed? Oh, come on and just pray in the Holy Ghost. Man, taka, baba, haya. You have just listened to a message by Reverend Dr. Femi Olalea of Oikea Christian Center. For other messages, visit our website at www.oikiacc.org. Remain blessed.